Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Helen Scales, marine biologist and a writer. And I'm Shay Rhodes. I'm a journalist and filmmaker. And this is Earth Unscrewed. This living planet of ours is just jaw-droppingly amazing. And we're not exactly taking care of it, are we? We've got oceans full of plastic, species dying out at a phenomenal rate, whole ecosystems being destroyed as we speak. Our daily lives are affecting this incredible place. And I guess the big question is, well, is it too late? We're going to find out a bit more about sustainable projects which could fix problems. And hopefully unscrewed the planet. Hello, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Earth Unscrewed. This week, we're going to be talking about something we've touched on in other episodes. So if you've heard the words circular economy or closed loop economy being bounced around and haven't actually understood what that's all about. Or if you're an expert on the topic and you want to dig into the nitty gritty and meet some innovators putting the theories to the test. Then this is the episode for you. So to get started, Helen, I'm going to take this opportunity to avenge you for all the gross sound bites that you've been playing at the beginning of every episode. So wrap your ears around this. We all talk about this mental disconnect of where does the food that is on your plate, where did it come from? And one of the big disconnects is if I ask anyone that question, you can see that split second of like, what are you talking? And then they're like, oh yes, obviously chickens have feathers. I've never considered what happens to them. What does happen to them is they are taken away and they're converted into a low grade animal feed, cooking down into this very stinky, brown powder basically if we opened the bottle of it up in this room a small bottle we would be conducting the interview elsewhere like it's it's (laughs) disgusting smelling stuff it has low nutritional value it has low economic value we're kind of looking at this thinking like this doesn't make very much sense why are we doing this and why are we doing this when the feathers have amazing properties just disgusting so gross and just mind-blowing that that's what happens to feathers that it becomes this sort of low-grade pretty horrible stuff that we then ship overseas Mm. and then presumably feed to chickens and then we import chickens back presumably yeah yeah. all right why do you play me that why do we need to know about feathers so in this show we're going to be delving into two case studies two companies who champion a circular approach and have come to look at waste as a raw material First up, I went to meet a man called John Koo, who works for a company called Interface. Right now, we are in a space that looks a bit like a warehouse space. It's got these huge silver air conditioning vents that make me feel like I'm underground, although I'm not. And it's all very kind of architecturally designed with these large metal frames, orange and pink. Orange and pink? Mm. Yeah, 
That sounds very cool. Where were you? What's this about? It was actually a showroom. Uh, it's a company that makes modular carpet tiles. Carpet tiles? Yes. All right, that, that's way less exciting than I thought it was no, going no, to be. No, 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 bear with me. It's actually very, very interesting. Interface didn't actually start out as a climate-friendly company at all, but I asked John how it all began. So we, as a company, started in the mid-70s. But I guess when it comes to sustainability, we had a real change in the, the mid-90s, where our late founder, Ray Anson... He, he was posed an really interesting question by our customers, which is, what are you doing about the environment? And at the time, he, he didn't have an answer, but he reached out to people in the know and made him realise that well, they had a really successful carpet business. Business was providing a huge amount of energy-intensive petroleum use. He basically realised that carpet was a big, bad business. And so he decided that he wanted to make a change. Okay, so that's really interesting. These these guys didn't start out as eco-warriors, but it's really progressive that they decided to start thinking about these things way back in the 1990s. Although I guess that was a time when the green movement was just kind of getting going, environmentalism was sort of kindling, but still really cool that they were beginning to think that way. Okay, and so, well, how did this company making corporate carpets then make the change? Well, I asked John exactly that. So we had a project called Fairworks, where we're looking at using grass-woven tiles, working with social enterprises in India. And we, you know, we created a product, we took it to market, but it, it really didn't succeed. Grass wasn't our main material. It wasn't what our customers recognised us for. Okay, so a carpet made of grass? Like grass grass, not seagrass. Mm. I, I do know you can weave things out of seagrass. This it, is it, just that's grass, grass. This was This was grass grass. But anyway, okay. it, believe it or not, that didn't take off. It wasn't their most successful line. But the the company had a rethink and they decided to try and find other ways to improve the sustainability of their products. What we did there was we called the right people around the table. So we we, we had our yarn manufacturer, we called him marine conservationist, development experts, economists, and said, well, how can we make a more inclusive supply chain? How can we do for nylon what the fair trade movement had done for food and clothing? It was through those discussions that a pilot was born for networks. So networks, I guess that's some kind of pun, is it? Well, well spotted, yes, yes, I trust you. <laughs> yeah, it's all about fishing nets. This is all for us part of what we would call leading industrial re-revolution, rethinking how we approach our supply chains to be a positive force, which is our inclusive business supply chain operates in the Philippines and Cameroon that transforms discarded nets into material for our products. So on a practical level, mm. how does, what does this look like? Is this communities actually actively cleaning up fishing nets out of the ocean themselves? So we really focused on intercepting nets. Mm. I laud efforts for people to kind of get nets from the seas, but it is really difficult because a lot of the material you get back, it could be quite old. It could have a lot of additives, leads, heavy metal stabilizers. So it is important that we come to find a solution for that. And I, um, But first off, let's turn off the sap about what's going into our oceans. And that's where we felt within our sphere of influence, we could have impact. Okay, so now let's get to the second case study. 
Whereas the guys at Interface started off with a viable business model and then looked into how they could make it more sustainable, the guys I went to see next actually did things the other way around. Okay, so they looked at what was being wasted and then figured out a way to use that. Exactly. So I'm here at the Royal College of Art with Ryan Robinson and I'm currently holding what I can only describe as a plastic bag full of feathers. Is, is, is that correct, Ryan? Oh, that sounds way less sexy than it should, <laughs> but kind of similar. So we're aero powder and we turn waste feathers into sustainable insulation materials. So my co-founder, who's Elena, she came up with the idea for a student master's project looking at waste in society. She actually started with human hair, which was weirder because one time I was eating at the canteen and I'm like, get the tap on the shoulder boom, the bag goes onto the table. Go, oh, hey, what's up, Elena? I'm just finished my pasta or something. Uh, guess what's inside the bag? Open this bag up. Various kinds of human hair. In the canteen, other people are here. I'm like, this is the I go, where did you get it? From Germany. So she brought it back on the plane. A bag of human hair. She I guess there's still no restrictions on that. The trick is to not ask too many questions. <laughs> I guess um, in this so, game. so she was looking at waste and keratin is the material that hair is made out of okay there are applications with it but when you look at the amount of material there is yeah okay every, everyone has hair but like there's way more feathers yeah so it kind of transitions into that when you first said insulation i actually thought about buildings and things yeah, like that yeah, yeah. could it be used for that if anyone knows how to use the internet and they google our name aero powder <laughs> they will find that we've done insulation material for buildings that's kind of how we started this all began with a, a student competition where we pitched that idea with the mayor of london we did win it but we figured out quite quickly that that idea as much as it's a good idea practically not a great idea for a startup to kind of do especially because this is our first business kind of building that experience the amount of certification, the kind of conservative nature of the industry meant that we could do it and we've made stuff that we think would work. Actually selling it would be a completely different thing. And, and again, we'd sell some, but to like a eco warrior somewhere in, in the countryside, you're not really getting these big contracts. We kind of pivoted then. Uh, so someone contacted us wanting to insulate the deliveries and we kind of said, yes, of course we can do that. This is the first product now. And what kind of deliveries are you are you insulating with this stuff? So the main ones at the moment are going to be food. We've also got things like pharmaceuticals, but that's kind of a higher risk, I guess, sort of in thing. So again, starting with food makes a lot of sense. That's a really interesting point. And when we're talking about all these amazing innovators and their ideas, we have to think they're not only facing design challenges, but obviously business challenges as well. Far too many great ideas that have not scaled. And I would question, is that for the fact that the ideas aren't good enough or is that that we've not had the mechanism and support for those ideas to make them grow? We as business not taking enough of a, a chance. Here's John again from Interface, the carpet tiling company. I think the owner shouldn't just lie on the designers. I mean, it equally lies on the manufacturers. We have to take more responsibility as manufacturers for what we, we make. We have to play our part in the solutions we have to play our part in financing the solutions and making sure that the power we have in choosing our supply chain incorporates this we need to support those designers and equally need to support our consumers as well because they're another key part of the puzzle we're actually asking more of them as well i think it becomes less of a challenge if it's not just the designers it's not just business it's not just the consumers 
but we all admit we need to make this work and everyone plays their fair share in that, then I think it could work. And then the other binding force around that should be government to kind of challenge us. That's a really nice point, actually. I think that's a lovely idea of it isn't ever just one group of people involved. The consumers, the designers, the, the wacky inventors, if you like, who are off thinking these ideas of how to do things differently. Mm. Manufacturers and, yeah, and the regulators, the government say, we need to do this. You guys have to think about yeah. these materials and how they're going to be reused and all those sorts of things. Ultimately, they're asking for so much kind of cross-pollination of ideas from different vastly different fields that sometimes you need to governments and and universities and people need to go out of their way to get people together even when it seems like it it doesn't make any sense you would not expect a poultry farmer and a builder to really be able to to talk about anything and have anything in common but you stick a university student who's been playing around with chicken feathers as insulation into the middle of that conversation and suddenly you've got a product yeah, and it's it's also really interesting to think about where the money comes from because, mm. you know, we're doing things already and that's all set in place and we have the commodity chains are, are all there. But to do something new is always going to be expensive and mm. there's going to be resistance. So it's ways of making that, I think, as he was saying, really, um, lubricating that pathway so that new ideas can be given their chance to see if they will work as opposed to just saying, nah, that's never going to happen. Exactly, exactly. A lot of the public kind of desire to not use plastic is coming from a very moral and a very good place. The practicalities of that, though, are far more complicated than people understand. And I, you know, I'm just delving into this world and suddenly I'm hit with all these, you know, behind the scenes. This is how this works. You're like, oh, no, this is why we can't just like delete them all instantly. You need alternatives. For example, you can't tell people not to use polystyrene packaging. You need an alternative if this stuff needs to stay cold. So that's part of what we're trying to do as well. Give an alternative, give a solution to the problem, yeah. Tell me how you get from feathers to this product. Basically, we take feathers that are surplus to use. We're looking at a variety of different sources, but ultimately they would get cleaned and washed. And then we have a textile conversion process. We, we kind of break them down and reform them into this matte material, comes out in big kind of rolls. And it's our job to kind of cut them up to size and then we put them in these compostable liners. So so there's no chemicals involved? So there's there's other binders inside, okay. but there's again a lot of like bioplastic binders. There's no kind of petroleum-based materials in there. The, the, the plan is you want to do better for the world. So instead of polystyrene, which has kind of, it's made from petroleum, it ends up in landfill, it's super bulky. You know, you'll find bits of it floating around all over the place. This ultimately would degrade and not leave any impact. And we've done that with the material we have waste of it anyway. So it kind of all fits. Circular economy is the buzzword. Ah, so there we have it. Those buzzwords, the circular economy. How did the guys that you interviewed, how did they define it? For interface, what a closed loop approach was, is to look at starting with waste, looking at what we can make from it, and then making sure that we take it back at the end of life. Waste in society is a big problem. We shouldn't be generating waste. We should be using waste in a better way, recycling, reusing. A lot of it just comes down to, of course we can do it, but practically how do you do that in a way that makes sense? Do you go up to every person's house and send a single person to take that type of bottle back to the front? Of course not. It's just not efficient. So you need to find an efficient way to sort of get stuff together and move it around.
it definitely reminds me as well of those fatbergs we had, my disgusting fatbergs from a oh, while back. And how can how, I forget? Yeah, how can you forget the delight? And yeah, and how we make use of all this stuff that we chuck down the drain. No, exactly. And and you see, the key with the fatbergs was that you could have gone to every single individual's house and tried to collect the fat from out of their individual drains, but actually it all comes together in the sewer in one place. And that's exactly what Ryan uh, is trying to do with these chicken feathers. Instead of using human hair, where we all get our hair cut in different barbers and hairdressers all over the place, he's identified that chickens pretty much all grow up on these huge battery farms, like it or loathe it, that's the where our chicken comes from, and they all get killed in these huge abattoirs. So the, the chicken feathers are already together in one place. All you need to do is go there and collect them. Yeah, so I guess that leads to the question, what we do with all that waste that is decentralised, that doesn't go to a single place to be processed? What can we do about all of that? Well, interestingly, John from the tiling company Interface actually has some thoughts on that as well. One thing we have to look at when we're tackling waste and we're rethinking um, supply chains is instead of focusing on your own linear supply chain, have a look at what was the supply web look like? What if you have multiple different partners? How can you draw the right lines and the right, get the right materials to the right people? And how can you do that more collaborative rather just on your own? Equally, another thing to think about is it's something we can't do alone. We have to be speaking to other companies. To do this at scale, you need to be thinking across different sectors and different, different industries. If we could really work with the guys that pick up your trash, your local councils, or um, waste management companies such as Veolia, who would themselves see themselves as prospectors and miners of, of waste, then we can really create a stock of material that we can reuse in different ways. And we can share the knowledge of what's working, what's not working, what we've learned collectively. I love the idea of a web rather than a chain of supply. And that's, mm. I mean, that's what happens, right? It's just, I guess, we have this idea that, oh no, raw material is extracted or produced. It's made in something and we consume that. But it is much more complex and there's lots more interactions that are really important to solve some of these issues. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. The biggest problem for manufacturers is that they, for them, waste is a cost. You know, you're making product A and you've got this waste raw material and you just need to get rid of it. Storing it is a cost. Whereas if there was some way where instead of having to quickly dispose of their waste materials, they could hold on to them or send them to a certain place where people can come and have a look and figure out if they want to buy that. I can totally see an app in which, you know, a manufacturer who is spending hundreds of pounds a month disposing of X material can just go on this app and go, right, I've got 10 tonnes per month of chicken feathers. Anyone want them? And someone somewhere in the world can go, do you know what, we buy in all these chicken feathers every every month and this guy's trying to get rid of them. You know, you can just see that, that there must be some way for people to coordinate. Yeah, that. absolutely. That's really cool. And I guess, again, it goes back to our fatbergs again. It wasn't just the fatbergs. It was like lakes of soup and it mm -hmm. was different different types of waste that those guys could make into yeah. biodiesel. So exactly. why not for other things too? Exactly. Yeah. And I guess part of the time it could be, like you say, people already are have a use for that waste product or they go ooh what could we use that for and then I the innovation comes do you know what the real the, we're designing something here because mm. for me this app like it's a great app in that you could put chicken feathers or you could put cellulose heavy material or you could put fat rich waste you know it doesn't have to say that it's old soup or, right. or, yes. that, it's, or that it's comes yeah. out of a sewer 
it just says fat rich. So somebody who's looking for fat. The fat guy go, goes, ooh. Hmm, yeah. What kind of fat? That's good. I like it. Is it the end of bins? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have an app instead. So that's it for this episode of Earth Unscrewed. And make sure you check out our website because we've put some extra reading on there as well. And of course, you can also get involved in the conversation using the hashtag Earth Unscrewed. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Until next time, from me, Helen Scales. And from me, Shay Rhodes, it's goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.